If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a few verses here as the starting point for our lesson this morning. And possibly a we may do a follow-up lesson to this maybe next week or sometime in the, the near future. But, but we're going to start here today talking about a few things that are related to what Peter has to say here in these verses in 1 Peter chapter 4, where he's going to describe the fact that Christians are to be different from the world. That there should be something about us that as people around us observe the way that we behave, the way we conduct ourselves, and particularly, he's going to talk about some things that we do not do, that we are going to stand out. We are going to be seen as different. Notice what he says here in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. So here in these verses, Peter is describing how the life of a Christian is going to be different from the world. He begins by talking about how we are to have the same purpose as Christ, that we are to arm ourselves also with this same purpose, that we are living according to the will of God, as verse 2 says, according to His will and not according to the lusts of men. But he says here that you haven't always done this. And this is going to be true for all of us. All of us, before we became a Christian, we lived among the world and we may have been involved in the same types of activities the same behaviors that the world does, that the world is involved in and so he says there in verse 3 that the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the gentiles that whatever you've done in the past and that's expected that that will be there that you have done things we've all done things that we should not have done the things that are contrary to the will of God. That's why, as we just observed the Lord's Supper, why Jesus came to earth and died on the cross, so we'd be forgiven of those sins. But the point is, is that we are then living for Christ. Again, verse 2, not for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Verse 1, we arm ourselves with the same purpose that Christ had. So there's a difference in how we conduct ourselves that we are no longer living as we did before. We gave certain things up, and those around us notice the difference. Verse 4 says, In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. Or the King James Version uses the phrase, They think it's strange, which is where we're getting the title for our lesson here this morning. They think it's strange that you don't do the things that you used to do. Or you don't engage in some of these things. Maybe all of us have done different things in, in the past. Maybe certain sins we weren't involved in. We may have done others. But whether it's certain sins that we gave up or certain, certain things that we just have never involved ourselves in, people around us notice that. 
And they wonder, why don't you do those things? Why don't you do what everyone else does? They notice that. They see that there is a difference, and they wonder why it is that we aren't involved in those things. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning, and there's probably a dozens of reasons or things that we could add to this list, but we're just going to talk about a few things here this morning that are common in the world that as Christians, as individuals, we don't involve ourselves in these things. And a couple of them are, are specifically related to what he says here in these verses. One of the things that we do not involve ourselves in is that we avoid fornication. This is related to what he talks about there in verse 3 of sensuality and lusts and living according to whatever we desire and fulfilling those desires. When we talk about fornication, because that sensuality and lust, that's what that leads to. Fornication refers to any sexual activity outside of marriage. And when we talk about marriage, we're talking about it the way the Bible defines it, not the way the world defines it, because the world, in our society in particular, has been working diligently to change the definition of marriage where marriage can now be between one man and another man or one woman and another woman and given enough time you'll have one man with several women or vice versa one woman with with multiple men and any number of any number of different perversions of God's plan for marriage we're not talking about sexual activity outside of just anything that's called marriage, but God's definition of marriage, where you have one man and one woman who commit themselves to one another. God binds them together in marriage, and they are together for life. That's the relationship that God designed from the beginning. That's what we're talking about here. So fornication is any sexual activity that is outside of that relationship. It could be sexual activity before marriage. It could be when one is already bound to someone in marriage, is referred to as adultery. It could be homosexuality. It could be things like that. But that fornication is the broad term that refers to all of that. As Christians, we are to avoid fornication in any form, whether it's before marriage or during marriage where we are unfaithful to a spouse or any type of the other perversions that we see in the world today. The Hebrew writer said over in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 that marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. God expects all people to hold marriage in honor because this is something that he gave to all people. He didn't just give marriage to Christians. He gave marriage to humanity. And so he expects all people to hold marriage in honor and those who don't, but instead they engage in these other types of behaviors that are contrary to his will, that God will judge those individuals. But our society has gotten to the point that fornication is so common that and expected that the idea of someone being a virgin, someone having their virginity, that they are unmarried and they've never engaged in sexual activity because they've never been married, that 
people think of that as strange. Or some people are, have gone so far as they think there's something wrong with that. That someone, has, someone may be an adult and has never engaged in sexual relations with anyone. Well, well, there's something wrong with that person. No, it could be that that person is simply trying to follow the will of God and they haven't entered into a marriage covenant yet. And so they're keeping themselves pure. But the world has gone so far away from God's plan and God's ideal that they think it's strange that, well, Christians don't engage in that sort of activity, engage in that sort of behavior. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul makes it clear that among other, other sins that he mentions, that those who engage in certain behaviors and they refuse to repent of them, they cannot see the kingdom of God. They cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he describes different types of sins that would qualify as being unrighteous. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now he says in verse 11 that such were some of you. So they had repented of this. So those who repent of these sins, they can be part of the kingdom of God. But he talks about fornication there, which is the larger umbrella term. He mentions adulterers, which is a subset of fornication, those who engage in sexual activity either with someone who's bound to another mate or against their mate with someone else. He mentions homosexuals, which is another subset of this idea or this sin of fornication. But those who commit these sins, if they do not repent then they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, one passage that I think is helpful to look at is over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul talks about how we are to be set apart or different from the world, but he talks about this idea of sanctification, that we are sanctified, we are set apart, and we are different, that God is, this is his plan for us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, it says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. That's, the, that's this fornication. You abstain from this. He says in verse 4 that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. He's talking about possess your own vessel. He's talking about how to possess and use your body in such a way that it is in harmony with the will of God sanctification and honor, not in lustful passions. And what Peter talked about in the verse we started at, sensuality and lust, you don't pursue those things. Not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God, but you are conducting yourselves in a way that is in harmony with the will of God. You abstain from sexual immorality. You abstain from fornication because this is part of being set apart as God's people. This is what one of the things that makes us different from the world. And so this purity of life and abstaining from these sins that we've talked about here, fornication and everything that is a subset of that, that is going to make us different from the world. We have to be willing to be different from the world. The next point that we see here, and this is also the next one that Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 4, is that... 
one of the things that people will find strange about us is that we abstain from alcohol. Again, this is something that is very common in the world, that you can't go to a sporting event, you can't go to a restaurant, you can't go anywhere without seeing people who are drinking alcohol. And you have people who, they get to the end of the work week, they go to the store, and that's what they pick up for the weekend. They pick up a case of beer. They, this is just a common practice for the people who live around us in the world. But Peter says here in 1 Peter 4 and verse 3 that the time already passed was sufficient for you to have pursued this course that the Gentiles were pursuing. He mentions sensuality and lust, which we talked about under the category of fornication. But he also mentions drunkenness, carousing, and drinking parties. Those three terms all refer to the consumption of alcohol. They're all different, we might say different levels of alcohol consumption here. But all of them are to be avoided. You have drunkenness there, and this is even a lot of religious people who want to engage in drinking they will agree on this point, says, yeah, we're to avoid drunkenness. This is the idea where you're completely intoxicated, that, that you are unable to function, that you're incapacitated. And this is the, we might refer to this as the destructive use of alcohol. And there are a lot of people, and even some who are not religious, who recognize that, yeah, we sh that's not a good thing to do, that you should not, you should not proceed to drunkenness. But then you have the carousings. This is where you're not completely passed out drunk. But it's affected you in the way that you, that you have these wild parties, that you begin to lose control over your, over your uh, behavior, and it affects you in that way. So it leads to these wild parties, and that's you know, the thing that you hear about going on on the weekends and things and that sort of thing where people get together, they have these wild, loud, crazy parties. What They always have alcohol and sometimes other drugs too that are there. But that's what this is referring to. That's this carousing that he's talking about here. But then he also mentions drinking parties. And this is where you have a lot of people, even some religious people, some Christians, who have trouble with this one because of what this is referring to. They want to justify the casual use of alcohol and say, well, we're not getting drunk, so it's going to be okay. So it's, it's all right to, to drink alcohol just as long as we don't get drunk. But when Peter talks about here these drinking parties, this refers to not drunkenness where you're completely destroying yourself and you cannot function. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about the wild, loud parties. That was the carousing. No, this is something else. This is the sipping of wine. This is where you drink and never proceed to drunkenness. Peter says this is something to be avoided. Now, there is a provision, as we see over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when Peter condemns these three types of alcohol consumption, he's not saying that there is no potential use for alcohol. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul talked about the what we might refer to as the medicinal use of alcohol. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 23, he told Timothy, No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine 
for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So there is a, a provision here that if this is for medicinal purposes, and if you look at your bottle of cough syrup, you can see that there is alcohol in there. And no one's, well, I won't say no one, but generally speaking, no one tries to drink cough syrup in order to get drunk. But there is alcohol in there, but it's not there for that purpose. It's there as a medicinal purpose. And that's what Paul is talking about here. But even then, he says, you make sure you're careful with this. You drink a little wine. Don't just say, well, I'm sick or I have these stomach problems or whatever, so I'm just going to, that gives me permission to just drink as much as I want. No, he says, you use a little wine. You are to be careful with this. And the fact that he had to tell Timothy to do this shows us that there was a reluctance in Timothy that he didn't want to do this at all. He wanted to avoid alcohol completely, which is something that is wise to do. But Paul told him here that it is permissible if you're using it for this purpose. But generally speaking, when we think about what Peter's referring to here, the drunkenness, carousings, and drinking parties, where it is the casual drinking that may never proceed to drunkenness, that is something to be avoided. Notice what the wise man talked about over in Proverbs chapter 23. He talked about alcohol and all of the problems that are associated with that. And everything that people get involved in, and you see advertisements for alcohol, they never show you what the wise man talks about here in these verses. Where he says in Proverbs 23 verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes? And he answers the question, those who linger long over wine, those who go to taste mixed wine. He goes on a little further and describes the, the negative consequences, what happens when you give yourself over to this. Verse 33, your eyes will see strange things, your mind will utter perverse things, You'll be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or one who lies down on the top of a mast. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. The addictive nature of alcohol is talked about there at the end, but he's talking about how that people are staggering around. They're, they can't keep their balance. They're falling over. They hurt themselves. They don't remember how they got hurt. So this is what alcohol where, where it can lead. So what's the solution? Verse 31, he doesn't say, well, make sure you just don't drink too much. Just only have one or two drinks. Don't proceed past that. No, he says in verse 31, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. Because at the last, it bites like a serpent, it stings like a viper, and then goes on in verse 33 where we read. He said, don't even look at it. This is not something to be toyed with or think that we are in control. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says that wine is a mocker. That We think that we can remain in control of this. It's very easy to get out of control and to proceed beyond what we intended to. This is why the wise man said this is something to be avoided. And this is why Peter said that if you're thinking that you can drink and just just casually drink to have a good time but never proceed to drunkenness, you need to avoid that as well. But people are going to notice that. People are going to, to notice that you don't engage in that type of behavior 
and many of them are going to think it's strange. Another thing that this goes beyond what we saw in 1 Peter, but to another passage over in Ephesians chapter 4, is that one thing that people are going to notice about us as Christians has to do with our speech. That they're going to see that there's a difference in, in the words that we use. Because as Christians, one of the things that we avoid is that we avoid using bad language. Foul language has become so pervasive in our culture that a lot of people don't even notice it. And they say, they say these words without even thinking about it. And they notice that, and they think it's strange that once they realize, well, you don't say the same words that they do, that it's so common for someone to utter a curse word when something happens and you don't do that. You say something else or don't say anything at all, and, and eventually people start to notice that. They think that it's strange that you don't use that type of language. Well, why don't we use the words that the world uses. Ephesians 4, verse 29, he says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Those unwholesome words, whether they are curse words or even words that are, that are malicious and tear people down, those would be included in this as well. But we don't use those words. Why don't we use them? He says because we are to speak those things that are good for edification. Those words that give grace to those who hear. Those curse words that are so common in the world, those don't give grace to anybody. They don't build up anyone. They are simply expressions of someone who has not learned to control their tongue and direct their mind to, to a place that is better than just the base reaction that they have to something negative or something that makes them angry. We don't use the language that the world uses. And it's very, very common to hear this type of thing. It's very common in the world. And it was in the, in the first century too. It's not something that's different now. But one, one thing that's interesting interesting passage over in Matthew chapter 26. You remember when Jesus was arrested and you have Peter. Initially he was very eager to try to defend Jesus. He pulled his sword when the mob came to arrest Jesus and he struck at the servant of the high priest and, and cut off his ear. And Jesus told him to put his sword back in its place. Well then they arrest Jesus and they take him away. But Peter follows. And he follows to try to see what's going to happen, but he, within all of these, these events that transpire, now that he's not with Jesus anymore, not with the other disciples, he is only with the people in the world. Which a lot of times in the workplace or in the schools, for those who go to, to the uh, public school system, that a lot of times you are with people None of them are Christians. None of them are like-minded brethren. So you are, you are surrounded by people in the world. This is what, where Peter was. And not only that, but he was in a situation where Jesus was, had been arrested. And it's very likely that they were going to come after his disciples next. So even though Peter was here, 
he would not be eager to, to identify himself as a disciple of Jesus because he could be arrested right along with them. So he is outside trying to see what's going on and someone says, well, you were with him and he denies knowing Jesus and then again and makes another denial. And then the third time, it says in Matthew 26, verse 73, a little later the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them. For even the way you talk gives you away. So Peter trying to blend in and not be able to be identified as one of Jesus' disciples. They say, well, the way you speak gives you away. Now other, the other accounts say that you speak like a Galilean, but notice what he does in order to, to try to show that he is not one of Jesus' disciples. He said there in, it says there in verse 73, after they says, the way you talk gives you away. Verse 74, he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Peter showed us here, if we want to try to convince people that we don't know Jesus, that we are not one of his disciples, he, he tried to deny it and he couldn't and that wasn't working. What did he do in order to show that he was not one of Jesus' disciples? It says he began to curse and swear. If we want to make it look like we're not Christians, the well, easy way to do that is just talk the way that the world talks. And just make it where there's no difference between the words that we use and the words that the world around us, what they use. Just speak as they speak. And people will, as people see that, they will say, well, yeah, they're one of us. And not a Christian. Not one of Jesus' disciples. Another thing that about Christians that you look at, the world looks at us and they think that, it, that it's strange of what we do, is that we don't dress the way the world dresses. Because we are striving to follow God's standards, so we are dressing modestly. This is talked about over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he directs this toward women, but the principle is the principle applies to men or women. There's not a double standard here, but he focuses on the women because many times that's the the men are the ones who are bad about, about noticing this type of thing. So he talks about the women, how they are to dress, how they are to present themselves. And he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Now he's talking about here this type of clothing that draws attention to herself. He mentions this, this braiding of the hair and gold and pearls and this is the excessive over-the-top way that she would she would adorn herself that made her look like more important than others but it draws attention to herself. Certain commentaries have made the point that, that what he's describing here, a lot of this expensive and costly garments here, is not just 
overdressing, but the, the clothing would be sheer, it would be able to see through, where it would be more like what we think of with immodest clothing, where you are exposing more of your body, you have more skin showing, and that would that is also included in here. Though when we just read it and think of it in clothing in our day, we just see the expensive and gaudy clothing, and that's certainly included, but would also include the the exposing of yourself, because that is also in here with these costly garments and and the things that are worn. It is a lot of times or sometimes difficult, and especially for women, though it's not just for women, but sometimes different to go shopping for clothes because so many of the clothes aren't proper. They aren't modest. They aren't long enough or cover enough or that sort of thing. And so it's difficult to shop and you can't follow the latest trends because you have so much of your body that is exposed that it's not consistent with what Paul describes here. He says here in these verses that we are to avoid immodest apparel or dressing ourselves in a way that is not proper. He says in verse 10, says by rather means of good works, this is how you are to adorn yourself, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. We could ask ourselves the question, whenever we dress, and it doesn't matter if men or women, but when we dress, does the way that the clothing that we wear, is it consistent with the claim of being godly? If we claim to be godly, if we claim to be followers of Christ, which all of us should be willing to claim, that if that's what our claim is, is our clothing consistent with that? Just as in the last point, is our speech consistent with that? Or do we dress in such a way that, well, we just look like everyone around us. We just look like everyone in the world. Over in 1 Peter chapter 3, in verses 3 and 4, Peter talked about how the women were to adorn themselves. In verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. How do we want to be noticed? He's not saying that you can't wear nice clothes. That's not his point. But he's saying what people should notice about you is what your heart is, what your character is. Your clothing should not distract from that. If you are a good person, if you are a godly person, your clothing should not be telling another story. Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 10 talks about the adulteress there and describes her as coming out dressed as a harlot. Not acting as a harlot, but dressed as a harlot. There was, and when you think about that, you have a picture in your mind of what type of clothing she was wearing. Her clothing sent a message. Our clothing is going to send a message. Are we sending a message that we are making a claim to godliness? Are we sending a message that is consistent with where our heart should be? That hidden person of the heart, that the way we dress whether we're exposing too much of our body or we just go so over the top with expensive things and trying to draw people's attention that way that that's what they notice. 
and they don't notice our character, they don't notice who we are. That's something that needs to be avoided. And again, there are a lot of other things that we could add to this list. But these are just a few things that, as we think about how we conduct ourselves in the world, we are going to be different from the world around us. We are going to be seen as strange, or as the New America Standard uses the term, they are surprised that you do not run with them. That it's because the world has gotten so accustomed to itself. The world conforms to itself. We are not to conform to the world. We are to be transformed, as Romans 12 talks about. So we have been called to be like Christ. Naturally, this is going to make us different from the world. And back in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says that, well, they're going to see this. They're going to be surprised in verse 4. They're going to think it's strange. But why is this important that we maintain this? We maintain this example that we keep ourselves pure, and we are also trying to show others what is right through our behavior. He says in verse 5, the, the next verse after we stopped reading, he says, But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. We will all give an account to the Lord. We will, for our behavior, for how we present ourselves, for how we conduct ourselves in this world, we will give an account for what we've done. But those around us will as well. That's why the gospel is preached. That's why we set ourselves as an example where we're trying to show them a different way that they might notice and they might be curious about. They might ask questions and they might be able to be led to the truth. But this is why, he says, verse 6, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached, because we're going to be judged by the Lord. We are all going to stand before Him. So we need to make sure we are obeying the gospel. So as we close the lesson and extend the invitation, we want to invite anyone who is not yet a Christian to become one. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you're willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be baptized into Christ, you can have your sins washed away. You can be a new creature in Christ. And if you've done that and have not lived consistently with your calling, that you've lived more as the world, as we've talked about, and maybe not in the ways we've talked about, but maybe in some other ways, then you need to repent of that and pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness. But if you're subject to the invitation in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.